0: you to listen. Then what? Share. It.
1: The Melbourne Youth and Social Workers Group and the Knowledge on Tick podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Boon Wurrung and Wurundjeri people, their elders past and present. We would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the land, her children and our families. We would like all of us to show respect for each other, Mother Nature and the creatures on the land and the sea.
2: Hey everyone, the Melbourne Youth and Social Work Facebook group would like to welcome you to the Knowledge on Tick podcast. We are Josh and Nat and we will be your co-hosts for the potty. Knowledge on Tick is a podcast offering real-life conversations and insights every week with workers in the field covering a range of topics surrounding the youth and social work world. We are so grateful to have you here and happy listening.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. I am Josh.
2: And I'm Nat.
1: And this week we're joined by George. G'day guys. Thank you
3: for having me.
2: Thank you for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Pleasure. Um, Heaps to talk about, but we start off with our five questions. Yep. Which are?
2: Which I'll start because uh, you have politely <laughs> not tried to steal the questions from me today, so I'll give you that. What was your first ever job?
3: First ever job, uh, straight out of uh, high school, uh, Army Defence Force. <laughs> yeah, three years as a transport driver. Yeah.
1: So how old Eight, were you when I you...
3: was 18, turned 18 till 21,
0: 22.
3: Wow. Yeah, right. Yeah. And
1: where did that take you?
3: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What do you mean? Where? What did I do? Where? Like experiences in the army and all that stuff. Well. Being from a traditional Greek background, and my parents didn't let me go to school camps, no go visit friends' houses or anything like that, what other kids would do. And yeah. I went to a predominantly Anglo um, high school, so, you know, really missed out on those uh, milestones at high school. So I bumped into a mate after year 12, and he told me he'd just come back from serving in. Rwanda in Africa anyway we and he just what he said he just sold it to me and then I went to um, an information night next mm. thing led, led to um, the testing phases which take forever next thing I'm on a bus and I'm heading up to Kapuka Wow. 13 weeks. Yeah, wow. 18 year old, had his bed made since I can <laughs> remember.
0: Yeah. Foods,
3: laundry, everything. Here I am in the big wide world, having to, you know, figure myself out. And, you know, it's the best. It was what I consider the, the journey, the beginning of what I am today in terms of what I do. Mm. Yeah.
2: And I think army um, is something that really interests people because It's sort of like, you know, people that go and they join the Army and then you might know where they've been stationed or where they've been deployed to. But other than that, you don't necessarily know too much information. So I I think people always get really intrigued the minute someone's like, oh, I was in the Navy, I was in the Army, like Mm. whatever. They're like, "Oh, what did you do? Like, where have you been? Tell us about it.
3: Yeah, my experience is uh, people don't really share too much about it because it is a different... um, it's a different culture it's a different language it's a different type of people it's uh mm. you know it's like uh, the police force they stick together you yeah. know youth workers social workers they know a, a language that the other common person doesn't mm. you know I, I think that may be the case but uh yeah for me though the journey wasn't oh, it was a, i got to understand what australia has to offer what Australia's involvement was in um, world wars and their involvement. Mm. Um, I studied Australian history um, and I also got to travel around Australia. We've gone to places no civilian, as they would call, would normally go. Mm. So, yeah. That's cool. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Mm. And we'll get on to the reason, sort of how you ended up where you are. You touched on the fact that that kind of led from the defense yeah. force, but we'll we'll get onto that. Um, to a more serious question: If you were a <laughs> WWE wrestler. <laughs> What would be your walkout? Oh, you know what's so funny, right? <laughs> I was gonna
2: say, I think yeah. we've had a snort on the podcast. You, every we were time.
1: having a joke before <laughs> the podcast, and you snorted, yeah. And I thought to myself, oh, she's never done that on a podcast. I wonder if it'll happen, and it just happened because normally
2: it's the loud laugh, it's not yeah, it the snort. Yeah. There you go, George. You're the first to get a snort the,
3: out of me. Yeah, well, this question, <laughs> this question, um, <laughs> when you said it, um, reminds me of Dan, Dan Cocker, yeah, yeah you, what you a dude, WWE, yes, of love course, the wrestling, yeah, of course, he, he the
1: question. Um, it was Different questions when we uh, when we interviewed him. Well,
3: I, I thought about this one, and this is uh, not a walkout song I would ordinarily walk out to, mm. but because of WWE, I would say, Run DMC, it's tricky. Yeah. <laughs> Just because okay. of the surname and I suppose just for the, the sake of the WWE being mm. uh, not a real sport, sorry, Dan. Oh, no. Ooh,
2: we're just going to have to cut that and send it to him. And also get Dan back on to do the questions. I'm interested to know what his yeah. WWE walkout would be.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think it would be funny because we we, I did a Skype video call with him about something else the other day. And mm. In the background, he's got a big WWE wrestling <laughs> belt, mm. you know, that you win legend. Yeah, or smack people Obsessed. in the face with. And, yeah. yeah, he loves it. Um, did people used to call you tricky?
3: Uh high school.
1: Yeah, yeah. just uh easier, I suppose. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I never thought about that before, though. Just yeah. George or because yeah. like, we would, would make jokes yeah. with the George. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, it was. How did your mother say it? You're, you're, you uh, It's now darling. Darling, yeah, sure. darling. <laughs> uh, but yeah, angry would be Yorgo. Yorgo, yorgo. that's right, because we would always make those jokes as well. Or Buzo, that was another one that got thrown around a lot. <laughs> which I think is a swear word in Greek, is Absolutely. it?
3: Absolutely. Okay. Oh,
2: ah. yeah, okay. <laughs> for everyone listening, there was some sign language there that you yeah. didn't see. It's like me, I always do this when I'm talking, I'm like, I need to tell people I'm doing air quotations because yeah. they probably think I have some f- horrendous opinions or statements to say. <laughs> um, the next one is, if you had to change careers, what would you do? Mm.
3: Uh, before COVID, I'd say anything outdoors like gardening, Mm. Um, you know, love, you know, just getting out there, do a bit of, you know, mindfulness in the task, just pop on some music and enjoy the outdoors. But since COVID, um, I have a love for mountain bike riding. So I'd reckon go on a professional mountain bike uh, circuit. That's cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, right.
1: Did you get a mountain bike during COVID? Do you know what?
3: I had one for 15 years hanging in my bike uh, in the garage and it wasn't because until um, COVID and, you know, I just grabbed it and then just went for a ride. A small ride became a bigger ride and I'm hooked. Yeah. So definitely, yeah, definitely gonna keep
2: that going. Yeah, that's awesome. You get a sweet little career going with that as well because, like, I can think of a thousand times I've been on holidays and you think of the adventure fun things you can do and mountain biking's always one
0: mm.
2: or, like, downhill.
0: Yeah. yeah um, just... It's
2: called something – It's the name's not going to come to me, but, yeah, it's always an adventure-based sort of therapy that you can do on holidays. You'd make a mint out of tourists.
3: Yeah. Well, let's uh, just <laughs> – stay on the bike first (laughs) because I'm still (laughs) beginner novice level. Not, yeah. No, it's good fun.
1: Good fun. Mm. Uh, Can you tell us about a time at work that you've made a mistake and what you've learned from it? Oh, Josh. Heaps, (laughs) heaps.
3: (laughs) Jesus. Well, um, it's 20 years in this field. Mm. Um, I don't know one particular mistake that I've made, although there have been many. But overall, one, I suppose, is that uh, in, in reflection is um, feeling a, um, coming across too confident in your role. And that's a mistake because being too cocky comes with, I suppose, um, confidence mm. and being overconfident. And, um, you know, you do make some mistakes where you think, ah, should be right. Don't worry about it, you know and being a little bit too laid back in a field that requires, you know, sometimes to make decisions that are black and white. Yeah. Um, It's just my personality, I suppose. You learn from it Um, and yeah, just own up to your mistakes.
0: Mm.
3: I suppose another working mistake would be um, not, um, you know, not being afraid to, um, you know, take a change, make a risk, explore, Mm. don't be in the same job for 15 years, Mm. Yeah, you know? Um, But that wasn't a hard 15 years, I um, I must say. Yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure. Mm. The last one is what are your self-care strategies and do you think you implement them well?
3: Self-care, absolutely. Uh, At the moment, yeah, the last year um, there has been a lot of um, outdoor, um, you know, I I spoke about, touched on mountain bike, Mm. a lot of, uh, I've done a bit of cardio and stuff like Mm. that just to get the mind right. Um, You know, there's, in this field and with, uh, you know, personal family issues, you can so easily get bogged down, Um, you know, we don't really practice what we preach too well and I kind of felt myself you know finding um, that path of uh, I need something just to keep myself focused and yeah exercise and once you start seeing improvements within yourself it's just gung ho and it's, I haven't looked back so far it's consistent
2: mm, fingers crossed mm. that's good
1: Yeah. yeah nice that's awesome um, so you touched on earlier that you're in the army and that somehow yeah. there's <laughs> there's a path there somehow there really, that led you is, to working mate. with young people. Could you explain that?
3: So uh, towards the later end of my time, um, I just wanted to, what else could I do, rediscover myself within that time? And one of the things was doing cadet instructor Um, And these are, you know, 17, it's like a high level of your cubs or scouts and stuff like that. These are kids that want to join the Defence Force, may have a connection in the family. So we, um, you know, basically kind of a watered down version of what was taught to us as regular um, soldiers. So that's all about, you know, your outdoors and, you know, focus on... Uh, an introduction to um for them a career in the defense force but also um it was the beginning of um you know i could do this youth working you know this is what it was it was mm. you know having um sharing a known um experience knowledge and passing it on and i wanted to do more of that um so after my time well at the same time whilst I was in the Defence Force I was also studying um, at uni and I was fortunate enough to have part of my uni paid for because of doing Australian history. Mm. So just where did it get me nowhere but uh, knowledge in terms of an uh, accredited units for my uni degree which then um, at the end I did more of a specific uh, youth working um, role course And got me um, into, well, what was called Parkville Youth Residential Centre. So I did. Wow,
2: I have not heard it referred to that in a very fucking long time. 1999.
3: So as soon as I got out of uh, the army um, and finished um, my uh, TAFE degree uh, qualification, I just walked off the street and went into Parkville and gave them a a crappy, um, very thin CV at the time and said, yeah, I'm keen to work. Um, And back in those days, uh, I had known um, some students who did the course with me who had done their placements. So they had obviously worded management up that I was coming onto the site and yeah, and I, started working there casual and 16 years later I left. Oh, wow. But not not entirely straight working with uh, at, at Parkville. Mm. I worked for other um, departmental agencies and programs along the way as well. But I kept on coming back to YJ.
2: Yeah, which at the time would have been under... Um, DHHS, which yes. is now DOJ.
1: Yes, mm. that's correct. Yeah. And to be funny at the time, it was just DHS. I was going to say, do you know <laughs> someone was saying to me the, the other day. split yes. up
3: again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah. could freak you guys out. I didn't start, but when I was studying, it was called C- CPV? No. Yeah. Community Services, yeah, CSV, Community Services, Victoria.
0: Yeah.
1: That's sad, anyway. <laughs>
0: wow, yeah.
1: It's funny to talk about Parkville, though, because <laughs> um, there's, and obviously that's how we know each other, is from mm. Parkville. Yeah. But when I started, uh, you had already been working there for probably about 10 years or so. Um, But you would hear these stories about almost like jokes that, you know, that they needed staff and they would just go and like ask people on the street or (laughs) someone would be like, oh, you know, I wanted a job. And so what I did is I I, I came into the building and they sort of handed me a set of keys and sort of said, go for it. And it, it wasn't, I mean, sure, I'm sure there were some times when there was a little more structure to it, but it sounds like it was pretty... I don't know, loosey-goosey, like, in a good way. Like, in the, but, in the beginning? Know. Yeah. In the beginning? Oh, well, yeah, for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean,
3: don't get me wrong. There were you, you still had your police checks and, yeah. you know, and all of that <laughs> stuff. So, you know, most of it back in the day were workers that were, uh, had experience mm. um, themselves of some sort of, you know, a journey. Mm. Um, and that didn't doesn't really carry on today. I don't find, yeah. or I'm, it may in in the uh, community sector, but I'm not too sure in the current um, public service sector. Um, so there was uh, yeah, there were a lot of uh, there, there's a lot more strict Testing with regards to hiring um, as opposed to back in the day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because I started 2010 and then Mm -hmm. it was pretty loose. Like you didn't wear a uniform, you could walk onto the unit, you had your keys and your phone and your wallet and like you could, like we used to bring in DVDs for the kids to watch and like it was pretty relaxed. Like we didn't bring in anything else that was inappropriate but like you could just like you literally walked in off the street to your unit, like there was no big security checks and things, but what was it like in 99, 2000?
3: 99, so um, the building that you know of um, was not built. Uh, it was this very dilapidated, old, uh, kind of like a glorified um, residential unit.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, it had, though, uh, communal showers, it was very, very dated in terms of its living. It, it would not withstand <laughs> any, um, you know, uh, testing today. <laughs> yeah. um, power, there was no power in their rooms. Oh, they, wow. It was all out. Wow. Um, it was very small. It was very, um, uh, it had like a musty kind of a smell to it. <laughs> Um, Mothballs. It didn't have the space that you now know with all its uh, programs and activities. It was totally shut off from um, the girls' unit, which it was called...
2: You're testing your memory Oh, okay. it was like
3: Brad- Bradman
1: uh, not- and something else or Brad- something,
3: was it? So, Bradman was the boys um, and Chisholm. Ah, I think it was Chisholm for the girls. That's
1: right, because it was separated at the time. Yeah, Yeah.
3: nothing to do with... Melbourne. uh, The Tay. Yeah, nothing to do. It worked separate. It had a separate name, separate CEO, and everything separate, which, I don't know, didn't make sense. But anyway. Sure. um, So, yeah, look, looking back to those days, there were a lot more things that... Need you could tell needed addressing and tidying up and you know from transports uh to you know kids on leave mm. um you know the rules around about cigarette smoking yeah. i mean i could tell you stories about kids going on leave getting drunk and you know returning on leave it was all about what the relationship was with the worker at the time mm. there were a lot of dodginess going on um, but there were great workers as well, don't mm. get me wrong. I um, I don't have um, uh, a, a negative story to tell about that time. And mm. a lot of the people from when I first started are in the field still and, you know, still doing great work. Higher up in, in different levels, but, you know, still doing great work.
1: Mm. So you've... Um finished the army, you started working at Parkville, Parkville thinking I can do this youth work thing. Yeah, Was the reality of the situation what you expected?
3: Do you know what, working in this field straight out of um, coming from, well, I was trained to be in a combat zone <laughs> in one sense yeah. and then coming into a, a captive audience environment it wasn't that bad. It, you know, I, 16 years, I have probably only got assaulted once and, mm. and that was for, for good reason. And that was because I got involved uh, to break up a fight. Um, uh, sorry, Josh, what was your question, man? No,
1: just the reality of when you started working at Parkville uh, compared to what you expected. Because mm. I think one of the things, and not only Parkville and still to this day, um, but youth work in general, I think we can all agree that, you kind of go into it, youth work, and the joke is that you want to save all the kids and save the world, uh, and the reality is that that's not that's going wrong. to happen. Yeah, but yeah. I was curious um, that yeah. you kind of went into it not necessarily. Yeah. Thinking. So
3: I think what I did was had a blank canvas, and blank canvas in the sense of it's my first proper job. I mean, it, a second job, a pr- first, you know, where I can make a career out of this and. Um, you know, make a difference because I liked what I did uh, when, when as an instructor. Um, but I had no expectations. I didn't know what you know what my my buttons were, and if I saved a, a kid's life, yeah, great. But I was learning. I was uh, for me, it was more about uh, building uh, relationships and um, and and making the most of the current situation and 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 using a, sp- a a particular style to kind of, you know, make work a fun place. Yeah. And that took a long time. I too did have a mentor that um, kind of, he was an older bloke, he had his own story to tell. He was a really, he was a hard worker, um, you know, never, you know, back then we, we all we put our hands up for shifts we oh yeah we were doing a 120 hours <laughs> of of you know uh, youth well you know working at, at Parkville um, and you know we were absolutely shattered if we didn't get you know shifts <laughs> if our shifts weren't covered um, so he was really hard worker he really um, gave me, showed me the ropes, more so with regards to how to approach, you know, difficult situations and and young people because he had a knowledge of, you know, street, smart and stuff like that. Mm. So that was my first taste of, you know, working... In that setting, um, that obviously that building didn't last for very long for obvious reasons. When I started, they were transitioning to the new building Mm. and so um, I was uh, fortunate enough to see the end of that um, building and then um, transfer over to what now is part of the bigger Parkville site. And again, it was still a standalone unit. So we were still separate mm. from um, the bigger, our bigger cousins. <laughs> um, and we continued to work with a residential uh, unit focus. So it was mm. a lot of hands-on working with kids between the 10 and 14. Yeah. And we'd help out our sister unit. Um, uh, ch- uh, no, yeah, what, were they, what are they called? Cullity. Cullity. yeah, yeah. Our sister unit, we'd help them out, chop them out. So, you know, there was um, a, a, a great bond between the two over the years,
2: mm. yeah. An interesting reflection and not necessarily directly aligned with what you've just said, but um, something that you two have brought up in conversation as we've got started. When I started doing youth work, because I started um, in the adult sector, so I started doing youth work and the first time I went to Partville to visit a client, I was very used to going into adult prisons and doing the scans and, you know, walking through the yard and all that sort of stuff. And I remember walking into Parkville and they are like, yeah, he's just down in Barnett, off you go. And they just kicked me out the door. And I was like, I'm standing in the middle of an open fucking prison and I remember shitting myself. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? No one's escorting me anywhere. Like I'm on my own where the fuck am I going also? Like, I've got no idea. They just literally said, follow the yellow line and you'll find it. And I did. And I remember at the time being so perplexed by the situation after being in an adult custody environment and going to a youth custody environment where, yeah, I got through the doors, but then it was like a free-for-all. And in my head, I'm like, please no one fucking shank me while I'm walking to this unit. Like, what's going on? But that was my mentality of only working in the adult sector, yeah. And then obviously things happened and they turned... The, the, the security in the youth prisons increased and then, you know, it went from kicking you out the door to go find your young person in the yard somewhere to we've got to radio you, radio you in at every time, you've got to have a escort with you at all times, everything's gated off, everything's fenced, everything's scanned and there's a, there's a lock. At the time when there wasn't all of those rules, I was shitting myself being let out into the yard. But I tell you what, now going back to Parkville now with all of the new security, I shit myself ten times more <laughs> Just in the environment, because it's almost like there's an assumed risk, like you're in trouble now. Where it was, it was like it was a secure perimeter per mm. se. I'm doing air quotes again, and you'd go in, you find a young person, and you'd you'd engage. But now it def- the, the the dynamic within that custodial setting has completely changed.
3: 100. percent As opposed to what it was. And uh, I keep on going. I- I'm fortunate enough to have start at a time where youth working was about uh, engaging and it was about um, you know creating opportunity even to the young mind Mm. um, to show a version of you know life doesn't need to be the way that it is and you know how it is and how you've experienced that but you're going to treat young people like crims and use all these Tools and techniques of swipe cuts, and I get the security aspect of mm. it. I do. Um, you're going to get a response that is, um, you know, one of the similar response to you. You, yeah. you're, a, well, are you? going to get uh assaulted or you're entering a um an area where bad people yeah bad kids are going no, no. not at all and you know what i never never felt scared because um the kids the uh, exactly right are, uh, so many so many stories of uh islanders uh, big big units just crying and just we're embracing it mm. um you know I, I think that mentality was forced upon us but i was fortunate enough to see the beginning which has established my foundation of uh this work <laughs> was you know um the power of um getting down on someone's level yeah. without you know, showing power, status, your intellect, Mm. you know, and and that stuff where, um, you know, young young recruits into this field coming into this area who have that mentality will get burnt out. It is a great, um, it's great to think like that, that you want to make a difference, great. You will find out quick, smart that. It's gonna be a lot harder and longer and hopefully you don't get burnt out and mm. we've seen it over the years mm. um, but um, yeah definitely a different like it was it was never it was about uh, working in a safe and secure therapeutic model versus what it is now security mm. model um, and it's about um, safety to the, the worker, person,
0: yeah. not,
3: not so much of the, of the client or what's what they used to call on the uh, young person. Um, so that part of me kind of sees that difference over the 20 years.
0: Mm.
3: Obviously, things have changed along that journey. When I started, heroin was the drug of choice back yep. then and seeing kids come off from heroin. Um, not very good no. um, in terms of uh, withdrawal. Hectic. And you know, heroin is a downer. Mm. Kids weren't playing up when they're coming off it. They're sick and mm. they're in their rooms. Whereas ice mm. is a different ball game. Ice, uh, we just we're managing behaviours. Chaos. That, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you know, the demographics change, the drugs change. Um, you know the it's not so much youth work and I don't see it I um, I'm not going to say anything negative about the current system I know I've got uh, friends that still are in um, in that field and mate they do a bloody good job mm. absolutely 100%
2: mm. 100% so parkville for 15 16 yeah, years yeah
3: looking uh, uh, being a public servant, you had the luxury of taking comments So mm. I was on loan, if you like, <laughs> yeah. uh, to first comment was at uh, Child Protection um, back in the day, Mary Street, uh, before they were High Street. So I was in the uh, adolescent response team when they had an adolescent response team. Mm. Um, so responding to alleged, um, alleged harm for adolescents. Uh, did that for 12 months. Returned mm-hmm. back to Parkville because I love that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, stayed for uh, another couple of years before I took another uh, which was in Streetworks Outreach Service, Khabs Central After Hours Bail Placement service i think i got that right i am very I proud start. for the recollection got, of yeah, that yeah yeah 2003
2: wow. 2004
3: yeah uh, back where they were located in QQ Q cottages mm-hmm. if you remember um if the box ceiling, i think it's an undisclosed location oh, but you can edit that, that out yeah. are so, they still there
0: though I, i'm not
3: sure
1: yeah. i'm not sure i feel like
2: skipping away secrets.
1: yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah let's sit there for a second though because i think yeah. that. People don't necessarily know a lot about street works, yeah. Yeah. And it's quite interesting. Could you give the sort of overview of what that is? Absolutely.
3: So, street works, doing what we did, working uh, the the centre, working both Culty unit and what was now what's now called.
1: Help me out, John. Barnett. Sorry, man. <laughs> nah, it's Not only joking, because sorry. we talk about it yeah, anymore with, yeah. with this and stuff, but otherwise I'd forget as well. Um, so that
3: gave me a really good insight because the kids that ended up in um, in that facility obviously had come from the community um, and my interest on you know, uh, earlier intervention. So that's what kind of led me to that role in working in an outreach model for the department. So basically what Streetworks did, uh, does, um, was pretty much uh, patrol the streets of the CBD and the streets of St Kilda, known hot spots where uh, young people who are somehow involved with the department and by that I mean have a an order attached um, to them and they're Either absconded from their residential care uh, facility, or their, um, you know, um, there's child protection warrants on them. Our role was to kind of um, identify and convince to return to placement. I've used the words very carefully. It's not easy. You're in their street, they're in their neighborhood. And so basically, you approach and you get the fuck off, you know, (laughs) when you said your street works. Um, But still, there were a lot of what did help was um, some of the kids at the time were from Parkville and having that relationship Yeah, perfect. more in particular some of the girls that did worked at St Kilda mm. and um, it was just so much easy to um, all it took was one known um, uh,
0: relationship, relationship mm.
3: to then um, say these guys are okay yeah you know these guys so they you know the at the time there was a um, there was a pact that they have where they looked after each other and word got round. So we were included in that knowledge of, um, you know, the, the group uh, at St Kilda. So we were looked uh, after as well and they gave us some, you know, info as well. So it was an v- awesome experience. Um, it's kind of like uh, detective undercover work, you know, because... <laughs> you did have to venture into the little laneways of the CBD. and mm. That's where I learnt, you know, it's one, one thing to have that captive audience in Parkville and it's another to actually go into their world and see how they live and how they spend their nightlife. And mm. I was fortunate enough that it was during summer. Oh, nice. And the kids were out. Yeah. And they were, you know, there were kids, they were a lot of kids. I, um, you know, there were different, different. Um, you know, we we were part of a, a police investigation and undercover, so it was it, it was an eye opener for mm. sure. It yeah. was a lot of lot of interesting things you see. Mm. I love
2: that you. Sorry, Josh.
1: No.
2: I love that you explained the acronym of HABS because I think something that is. Uh...
1: It's KHABS, by the way.
2: Oh, K-HAPS, okay, sorry. We... No,
1: I'm joking because you pronounce it K-HAPS. Yeah, yeah, I do yeah. pronounce it k tomato-tomato thing. But, but it'll it make, make sense yeah. for you <laughs> in a second, right? Sure, so, okay,
2: okay, If you let me finish my fucking point. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, the funny thing is I was actually talking today to somebody about how our field has a very... Um, just incessant need to use the acronyms, but some of us can't necessarily recall what the acronym is. We know what the service is and what they provide, but sometimes someone goes, what's this acronym? And you go, oh, shit, what does that stand for again? Mm, But for the first, I reckon, two years of me doing um, youth work, coming out of the adult sector into the youth work sector, and people were talking about, sorry, (laughs) KHABS, and so... (laughs) <laughs> for for the pronunciation of my peers in the South, it was Car Habs, right? Oh, car hubs. And so, so this, for years, I thought that Car Habs was a team that solely dealt with kids that were stealing cars because oh, that was something God. that we saw such a significant increase for. It was your young people were out pinching sure. cars, joyriding around the streets, mm. getting up to no good. And so forever, I just thought it was this task force that literally drove around and nabbed kids for stealing cars. And it wasn't until, like, <laughs> I was at court one day that I was like, oh, yeah, car hubs would have got him right. Someone was like, what, do, what the fuck do you think car, they do? And I was like, driving around looking for kids that are stolen yeah. cars? And they were like, no, yeah. and then explained the yeah, acronym yeah, and what they yeah. do. And I was like... Right. Okay. So I knew of Street Works, and I thought they were two very separate things, and that KHABS was their own sort of task force well, sent out to find kids. It's
3: a one organisation, <laughs> but it's a dual role. Yeah. So the KHABS is the youth justice component to yep. it, and the uh, and the street outreach service is the child protection. But the workers were which, you know, is quite unique in any departmental program, they were dual roles. So mm. they had to have knowledge of CP yep. as well as YJ because mm. of, um, you know, the dual role. I mean, when you were rostered to be KHABs, you just did um, the, uh, the call-outs from the police station. You didn't... Uh, blur your role, yeah. um, but we all worked under the, the one office and, um, you know, sometimes you'd just feel sorry for some of the uh, after-hours workers because of, you know, what they have to do with, but um, KHABS is a statewide service. I, I believe it still is yep. and you'd get a call in Rosebud and you'd have to be there. Um, because you don't want this kid to get locked up because, you know, such and such local police station don't know how to follow procedures when interviewing or charging a young person. There's, yeah. form, there's a, a, a role that they have to uh, follow. So, yeah, pretty much went straight down there and it was a beautiful, beautiful day anyway. It was a nice drive and great outcomes, man. If, if we didn't go, who knows where yeah. she would have ended up. But yeah,
1: because um, sorry, StreetWorks had an un- unusual working hours too, right? Like yeah, you start at yeah. three or four. No, or something. Um, oh.
3: so if you're um Street Outreach Service, four four p.m. Yeah. to two a.m. Yeah, and then Khab's, if you were rusted on Khab's, you're five a.m. a uh, five p.m. to three a.m. Mm. And you just prayed that you didn't get a call at two fifty. <laughs> Uh, cause, but the most common know, calls
2: would be at 2.55,
3: right? 2.55 and you're like, nah. yeah. Yeah. Cause no. Yeah. They,
2: because
3: like... they drag because you have to go out to the police station, interview the young person, interview the the coppers and then talk to the bail justice, you know, and write up the notes that are that same day because yeah. it's going to court mm. yeah. and you need to make the worker aware. So. Mm. Yeah, I did, look. It was great experience, but it had a big toll on the body. Yeah, because it's like especially night going shift. out. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't night shift, but it wasn't. Yeah. It, well, it, it's not. Yeah, it's not night shift, but it's not an afternoon shift yeah. either. If it, it was a, I'm going out <laughs> and coming home at three a.m. every day.
1: Yeah.
2: Well,
3: seven days.
1: Yeah, that's true, isn't it? That's like yeah. the hours. It's it is like if you went for a night out. I mean, of course, you're not drinking and stuff, but. The toll that it Actually takes to not. have, yeah, hopefully not. Um, but yeah, it isn't. It isn't enough to fully adjust. I'm just thinking no. about when you've done like true night shift, yeah. start no, at ten, finish at seven or whatever, that you can just sort of adjust your body clock. Yeah, and you sleep in the day and you work in the night. Yeah, but that's not quite there yet. That's a bit of a weird one. That yeah, would be it's like a, this weird very sort of
2: time.
0: Yeah, it
3: gets very cold during winter. very oh, yeah. uh, very cold cuz you're walking the streets mm. is that, that's your shift. Yeah. You're walking. I mean if it rains obviously up health and safety you don't walk the rain out in the rain. Um, but yeah, mate, um there's a different feel especially Christmas time in the CBD. And you know, you know, to do this type of a work you you got to always have awareness about you because you got to have to spot a kid from a, you mile know, away. A, a mile away and uh, I think one of the one of the uh, interview to get this role, we actually did a shadow interview. So we went out with the team leader or the or the manager at the time and um, what she said to me is uh, I want you to see that girl there. And I looked at her and what she said now look at me, tell me what she was wearing. And, uh, well, I got it right and there's a reason why I got it right. The reason why I gave what I gave to her is not the truth. The tr- what I said to her is because, you know, military trained and stuff like that. Yeah. The truth is that that was an ex-Parkville client and yeah. I knew her. <laughs> so, she picked her yes. out. She picked her out because she knew her too. So. Yeah. So it was later after that, that we, I got it right, that she was like, oh, let's go and talk to her, that I knew it, I got it right. Mm. So yes, I didn't get, the I, yeah, i pretty sure it was that. Uh,
2: <laughs> You're right though, like observe, observe, observe is like a big Absolute. thing that's, it is really important in our role mm. because how many times, like even, um, you know, if I'm working with a young person that, you know, I might be the last person that's seen that young person, they go, oh fuck, when was the last time you seen him? Do you remember what they were wearing? And I remember when I was at uni, we had um, one of my lecturers, Georgie, um, absolute dude of a human, but he used to say to us all the time, he was an ex-copper, and he used to say, you have to observe every fucking minute detail in your life. And he used to bang it into us and we'd go, shut up, Georgie. And so what he used to, he used to test us every day. So he'd come into class with something on and then he'd take it off halfway through and at the end of the lecture he would say, what am I not wearing now that I had on at the start of a lecture? And it would be something as simple like his cufflinks, or something very minuscule, to see if we'd pick up on it and notice and, and we'd get like, you know, little gold stars for getting it right. And it was drilled into us that you have to be observant of every little description because you're gonna have the answer at some point. You've got to have the answer. And I think it's hilarious that you know the the three of us even earlier today before we recorded, we were standing out the front before we came inside. Yeah. And I think all three of us started to observe these two characters <laughs> standing around George's car. <laughs>
0: yeah. And
2: being like, the fuck are they doing? You're trying to nab his car. Yeah. And oh, it turned out that they were at the wrong car, but it's something that I th- I found mm. funny, even all of us standing there being like, What's going on over there? Yeah. yeah. Because it's so true, you constantly have to be observing, even when you're in group settings with young people, being oh, able yeah. to keep your eyes on. Every little group and what's going on.
3: Yeah, look, um, that that is hard to do initially. Mm. Over time, you do develop that. Mm. Um, Working in the field that we've worked in, in, in Parkville, me personally uh, yeah being a unit supervisor mm. i had to i had no choice but to be three steps ahead in planning yep. every bit of exit what was in um what was functional what wasn't where my staff's level of competency was at mm. and where they need to be positioned at any given time mm. so this is going through me every Shift yeah. every, minute, right? yeah. every minute, right? Every minute. Yeah. Every minute, drained, drilled in me, mm. instilled. And, you know, at the same time, the focus is your audience and making sure mm. that everyone's entertained, everybody's happy and yeah. everything flows according. It doesn't. No. Uh, not always, but what helps is, you know, having some people that um. Are able to adjust to, um, you know, uh, circumstances that are beyond their control. Uh, are able to be intentive, intuitive into their surroundings, and um, you know, looking at hazards that may cause some issues. Just I don't know over the years some working ha- hazards, but habits, but also you know, being a father and you're, you know, you're always constantly scanning what my child's going to get to. (laughs) So it's kind of, you know, translated to something else, like, you know, doing a bit of a risk assessment of
1: my environment.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Transferable skills. It's Mm.
1: this ability to read a room that you develop, to read crowds, to see the way people are moving. Like you've probably had it. I know I've had it. I walk into, like, especially at a shopping centre, Oh,
2: I hate that though. In a in a personal perspective,
1: it I I don't do it. Like I don't think I'm hyper vigilant. Yeah. To the to the point where I'm anxious mm. or anything or like I won't. Oh fuck! I'm not going to go in there because oh shit! Like there's some kids that you know. Yeah. But it's yeah. like you'll yeah, see yeah. you'll see patterns of the way people are moving. I'm not. I don't mean to sound like I'm fucking like a FBI. <laughs> agent, no, I get. What, but you yeah, see, yeah, like you yeah. see patterns no, of people moving. Yeah. And you're like oh, something's kicking off over there. Or why is that? Yep. Why is that guy standing behind that guy who's then looking at the other guy? You know, you just see it and it's quite interesting and it's the parkfield thing. You walk into a unit and you're like, oh, okay. What's...? And you look left, right and you're like, all right, that kid's probably going to cop it. That yeah. kid started it and that kid's probably yeah. the one that is orchestrated all of it but he's not going to be near it. Yeah. You know, like that sort yeah. of stuff. Like, Yeah, he's over there, there see... playing
2: a game of chess in the corner, right?
1: And, and I've said this to you before. What do you think about this? The kids that were, ty- typically, the kids that always played chess and were particularly good at chess were also the kids that ran the unit. Did you ever think about, if you can think back at, at Parkville?
3: Yeah, it kind of sounds like the um, uh, Wentworth, the, uh, yeah. the steam press. <laughs> the top dog. The top dog, but, they were the good, the, but
1: the fact that how good they were at chess also sort of um, uh, spoke to the way that they managed to kind of run this unit. And and orchestrate you know things to occur. There's a yeah. few kids that I can Look, think of. Uh, yeah.
3: yeah, absolutely. Mm. I yeah. mean, my later years, it, it was uh, at a unit that was more the vulnerable, uh, yeah. and um, and there was that one particular kid that in in he would play chess and he'd play chess pretty pretty well. Mm. But he had he he had a presence that everybody was like. What the fuck? That thing is just too weird. We're mm. not even going to bother going there.
0: You mm. know,
3: he yeah. would absolutely fuck us up. But he played chess and he played good.
0: Mm.
3: He played chess. Yeah, yeah. but he was a, he was a feared
1: mm. unit. Yeah, he yeah, was. Yeah. So it's just yeah, it's funny, but yeah, it is that. Like yeah, I think it can definitely turn into hyper vigilance.
2: Yeah, know, absolutely. People, I meant in my but... personal sp- in a personal perspective. I don't like that because I feel like I'm still in work mode. Then, and it, it is—it's like an—it's un- yeah. a—it's an unconscious thing that I do. Mm. But I'll walk into social settings, and you observe it. And it's funny doing it with—I guess—thinking of it from a work perspective with your personal relationships or your personal peers. Mm. But it's really funny. Like I—I'll I, always be like, "Oh, so and so is going to lose her shit in a minute. She's getting really annoyed with this." And people will be like, "How do you know?" Mm. I'm like, "Watch her body language." Like, See? so for me, sometimes. I really don't like that being the person that's preempting the drama in a situation sure, sure. or the issue in a situation, not necessarily hypervigilance to the point of anxiety where like, oh, fuck, I'm scared something's going to kick off or blah, blah, But just being aware that you're like, oh, that's not going to, that's going to go south in about 10 fucking minutes, FYI. Mm. I hate being that person because yeah. I feel like I'm constantly in a work mind. The,
1: the reason why I highlighted the hypervigilance though is that's the level that some people ended up getting to, I think. Yeah. Whether it was at Parkville yeah. or in their personal lives that they mm. would You know, there's stories of people that they would say, you know, in like a reflective space, like I went into like high point, and there was a group of kids, and I just sort of shit myself, or Mm. you know, or sort of stereotyped them, and you know.
3: Though I don't think anyone's trained how to manage that, and I had Mm. um, a bit of a start with that training in in terms of. Knowing your surroundings because of my military background, mm. in terms of, you know, having that wider scope to um, assess whatever is going on. And you're right, though, you don't want to have that constantly, but it does, it is of benefit mm. um, in terms of, you know, um, knowing your awareness. Mm.
2: Yeah.
1: You made it out i think i kind of sometimes think about it like i don't know if you're familiar <laughs> but like they talk about it like uh boxes like bo- people who uh, do boxing
0: and they um
1: <laughs> they talk about people who, who are boxers and that some make it out because they're still like they're not punch drunk They you know yeah. they can speak well they, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're not yeah. they're, they do it right yeah. and then someone didn't make it out but i feel like and you know there's a few there's lots of people and you touched on it before that have left parkville and continue to work in the community services area mm-hmm. in the community but yeah. then there's a few people that kind of, I don't think, really made it out or I still yeah. feel like maybe they're a bit stuck there. But you made it out and yeah, yeah. you're in the community again. Yeah, man. What uh, was the funny thing you're going to say? So, oh, Or is that for another time? A funny thing. You laughed when I said you made it out. I made it out.
3: Well, yes, I made it out because, uh, you know, how I made it out was kind of not the way that I wanted to, but there was a calling there and in hindsight i don't have any regrets if anything i that you know we touched on um earlier about the reasons why you get into a field and you know we talked about the early days of it being therapeutic yeah not wearing a uniform not wearing handcuffs and mm. you know all of that gear Thinking that it. i get with current times but we've changed that model from a therapeutic one hands-on model to now you know, I'm just going to observe you from this little room here where I feel safe and I'm wearing a uniform and you're doing time.
0: Mm. Um,
3: and I left uh, at the right time. I think it would have been the beginning of the end. Um, th- my character, the, the way that I approached uh, my work is I don't take myself too seriously. Um, I <laughs> have a laugh. And I had, um, I always would turn a shitty situation and environment in the best possible environment. And I guarantee that whoever worked with me on, the, on any given shift, we had a laugh. Yeah. We, we had a laugh because I was never punitive. I mean, there were rules. I had to, you know, um, enforce authority at times, but it was out of like that bigger brother uh, mentality that out of concern for them that that's why I'm losing my shit.
0: Mm. um
3: we had you know i love working with the younger guys because of their enthusiasm and it was just a matter of redirecting it in a way that it didn't um it wasn't personal don't take it personally you know um it was uh, a unit that um had a when you worked under me, with me, mm. uh, you knew where you stood. Yeah. You knew what type of uh, an evening you were gonna have. Mm. Uh, and that's because I, I love the structure and I love um, the flexibility. Uh, I don't take things to heart. Um, and you know, you, you learn quite quickly. You can only deal with what is in front of you. There's no point in stressing out on the other things that are happening around you. And I tell you what, you know, you can have the most settlest uh, working day and all it takes is, I don't know, a a bad phone call or or a, um, you know, a a, a visit that didn't happen and it can change things. Mm. Um, But if you have the right team and the right people and the right, you know, um, things to say, you can make it a lot easier.
2: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're only you're only as much. I was trying to think of a saying, then that's escaped me. But the concept of having a good team around you and the work that you do actually absolutely. makes the hell of a difference yeah. mm. in the work that not lo- not only you do, particularly in an environment like Partville, I can imagine that having an appropriate good team together would be obviously the ultimate, but being able to know that you've got peers that have got your back, that will do exactly the same, you know, we're all on the same page here with the same message and it's just going to get done, irrelevant of what other circus might be going on outside of a situation that you're dealing with. You know, you've got A, B and C dealing with that, you're dealing with what's in front of you. And you're you're trying to get the best outcome of a situation of a potentially shitty situation.
3: Yeah, and because of that mentality, uh, there were a lot of friendships that were formed that were strong, and that's why I'd lasted for as long as I did. Because Mm. you know, you, yeah, you you know, there are generations of workers that have uh, I've seen and come through, and but you know, look at me now. I'm I'm sitting across Mm. from you know with Josh and it's been five, six years since I left that place and we still talk, we're in the field, um, you know, um, and those formed friendships come from that place and I still have a lot of uh, friends that I still keep in contact. Would I go back there and work? (laughs) No, no way. I love what I do now.
2: Yeah, Yeah. tell us a bit about what you're doing now.
3: So since leaving Parkville, and that was one of the hardest thing to do because change is yeah. not easy. And in Parkville, you're kind of very limited in your knowledge about the broader community. You only deal with the 1% mm. of uh, youth justice clients that end up unfortunately in lockup. But where where does it all come from? It comes. They all come from the community. So it took me a while to find my, my feet um, I did, um, I went and did uh, a, a grad dip course in um, primary school um, teaching, I got up as far as doing uh, my placement and absolutely hated it. It wasn't for me, yeah. you know, there's, um, you know, I, I did, um, um, what do you call it, um, uh, a teacher's aid for a bit. Yeah. The problem integrated
2: something. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Well, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. They put me with the preppies. Love kids. kids love them. <laughs> Uncle G. Uncle George. Uncle George. But the thing was that I was more for me. I, I was I approached it more as a father than I did as a, as a teacher. And currently, for you know to protect themselves, teachers can't do certain things. Yeah. And I get that, and that's not me. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong, you know. If I see a, a kid, for example, wet themselves, I'm going to go there and help them. And that's the dad in me. But in a school setting, you know, it's a bit questionable. It's sad to say, but mm. that's the reality that we work with. Mm. You have to be careful. Absolutely. So uh, not all schools are like that, but there is that additional element of caution mm. with the work, and that's not who I am. Yeah. So I then um, I'm now a family services practitioner mm. for uniting with the integrated family services team. Been doing it for five years. Absolutely love it. Um, case management. Yeah. I also do co-facilitate um, uh, parenting programs, uh, parents building solutions, the uh, care mm. run program. Yeah. Um, and uh, help out with. Um, the program called Mythbusters, which is Dan's uh, baby from the incremental project to so help him out. Um, kind of, uh, tr- well, started uh, case management is my bread and butter at Uniting. Um, then I got approached by a um, school-focused coordinator attached to our office who... Um, said, you know, you've got a youth working adolescent background. Could you run some programs in our local um, school uh, area? I'm like, yeah, sure. So um, I started off with a, a couple of primary schools and then um, the demand in the northeast got greater and I said, I can't do this on <laughs> my own. So I'm like, I went back to the school focus coordinator and I said, I know someone. I know someone that can help us out, but you have to obviously, you know, pay them, and we can combine, you know, both services into one with a family services um, kind of spill at the end of it. And yeah, sure enough, got them involved, and Dan and I continue to this day to um, uh, liaise. Uh, always uh give each other ideas about bettering um his his work and his focus on on young people and um that specializing i suppose um the grade fives and sixes that are going into transition to high school that Mm. that big year that gap for them um teaching them more around the uh, emotional intelligence. So I kind of came in. Daniel does a lot. He does a lot. And he kind of addresses a lot of uh, areas within the issues that face young people in that transition to high school. Um, One of my... um, uh, interests with that was the emotional development side of things um, with kids and especially young boys you know their uh lack of well un- not lack of but unaware of showing empathy and their emotions so we we really uh, focused a lot on um exploring the myths around anger good or bad you know um uh, feelings and emotions and knowing the differences uh, in, in that young age. And through the work that we had done, um, you know, kids were going home, talking to their mums and dads about, you know, the, this uh, uh, Tongan and, and Greek background <laughs> came to our school in Whoop Whoop and, you know, these awesome games. And it's like working with Daniel again. You know the good old days of job sharing, and the, you know, I'm biased because he's a, he was uh, my uh, co-shift supervisor. So when right. I wasn't on, he was he on. Yeah. And we all got things done. Although you know his admin is a bit <laughs> questionable. Oh damn! So man, so good. just um,
2: scratch up on your admin pal.
3: Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we just hit it off. It's just complement each other and through activity, learning base, um, you know, and some of the things that he'd done, some of the knowledge that I gained and gathered post-Parkville working in the community sector. It is amazing of the uh, knowledge that you get from working in the community sector, which we weren't privileged to in Parkville because it's, you know, you work for us, you're going to do what we require you to do working in the community i quickly had to learn that language of you know you don't call people clients mm. you know for example um you know what what theoretical framework are you, do you work <laughs> like,
0: yeah
3: i don't know and, and some of my knowledge was dated so you can just imagine Going from 15 years, 16 years at Parkville to the community sector, I couldn't get a job as a resi unit. I could not get a job in a resi unit because my language was non-existent. doesn't matter Mm. how many years I had done inside Parkville. It didn't matter. So I got uh, an offer um, through Launch Housing, actually, who... We're running a program called Services Connect.
0: Yeah, Services wow. Connect
3: was initially a departmental uh, project, and it went out into the community. Uh, it It didn't It didn't successfully keep its funding. It was only a pilot program. Mm. Um, but service, but Launch Housing still wanted to go ahead and advertise for the five months yep. that it was on. That was my break.
2: Yeah, awesome.
3: Launch Housing had sublet sublet me to Kildonan where I was based at uh, Broadmeadows office and that's where I did services connect work for Launch Housing. Mm. I then was successful in staying on with uniting yeah. Kildonan as an integrated family services worker and I've been there ever since. Mm.
0: Yeah.
3: So yeah, specifically casework but over the over the years Because of my gender being male and in this field, and in particular in the family services sector, and also um, in child protection case management, there's not many of us. No. Um, And what they found was that there was a a need for workers that, male workers, to engage uh, men who were primary caregivers of uh, their children. And we had a lot in our northeast catchment, but there really wasn't any particular service. There were programs, mm. but there really wasn't a family services male worker. What does that mean as a male worker? Well, don't deliver my work any differently. It just meant that, um, that the individual felt a lot more comfortable and open to mm. discuss some of the... Um, mental health issues that men carry and experience. Um, You know, talk about journey of fatherhood, um, and you know, also touch base, uh, talk to them about positive masculinity and um, uh, emotional awareness within themselves and you know, talking about the importance of adolescent, child development, adolescent development, pre-adolescent development, into adulthood Mm. and the importance of a father during the zero to five years and give them a a bit of a snapshot journey of, you know, some of the um, things that kids are wanting from their parent. Um, You know, textbook theory stuff, but also from a personal um, point of view, being a father myself. Um, And just uh, most of it most of the work, uh, is more around, um, increasing their confidence um, and decision-making because I've never met a father that does not love their children. Mm. Um, we are a voluntary service and they want the help and they're invested and you know, um, that, that's, um, been majority of my caseload primary. Mm. Um, but during COVID it's been a different, um, need again yeah with family violence and mental health dominating there as well
2: and it's a huge thing in that you know family violence is a is its own um huge issue like in its own right but the the evidence and the statistics tell us that more often than not the victim or survivor is female
3: sure yep
2: but it doesn't exclude the fact that there are no. there there are there men are, yeah, in that yeah. in that minority as well but also on top of that as you were just talking George I was just thinking if I had a single dad and I wanted to refer him to a program
0: yeah
2: I couldn't give you one off yeah. the top of my head I'd have to go and research yeah
3: yeah, there are there are. Look, I'm not um, in the northeast. I could name you some. Yeah. Uh, a few. Um, they are programs that are attached to agencies. It's not a program or an organisation per se. There mm. are there are programs like uh, for men. Um, you know, you think about men's behavioural change. Let's talk about that for an example. Men's yep. behavioural change. Well, how does one do men's behavioural change? Well, it's core appointed Yes. Very, very few do it um, out of voluntary. Mm. Um, so already there is a resistance in doing the program.
0: Mm.
3: When you have a resistance, you don't really get the full focus of the individual. They're just there to, you know, tick their box, got their completion and back at court, I've done men's behavioural change. But in saying that, that's not the case. Um, as a practitioner, there is, I do feel that there is, for for good reason, a negative connotation towards men's behavioural change. Now, yep. I'm not talking about dads that have done and what deserve as a result of their action. I'm not mm. talking about that um, those dads. I'm talking mm. about those dads that have that, Slip through the cracks that are present for their children that do struggle with the day-to-day caring needs of their children that do have their best intentions for their kids but don't know where to start yeah whether it be a lack of knowledge or shame or whatever their experience has has been um and my role is to you know um, engage them, open their eyes in terms of supports and services, create, be an advocate for their fathering. And always, um, you know, it always goes back to uh, well, what type of father do you want, does your kid want you to be? How would you uh, say that if I was to ask you? How would you want your son to respond to that answer? And mm. that's basis of what I do is put the, the children In the centre of what we do, we build um, goals around that, and and in the same time, you know, bettering themselves, well-being stuff, mental health as well. Um, Yeah, yeah. Small changes. They've, you know, I've had uh, really good, um, really good feedback and uh, responses to that. There has been a, a, a quite a bit of need in that area. Mm. Um, there's only, what, two, two and a half of us that um, uh, do that. The rest of us are, you know, just your generic type of workers mm. with specialising in different, um, different uh, areas of uh, youth work and social working. Um, but yeah.
2: It's a tricky one as well, because we think, we often talk about, you know, a client's journey. Um, you know, a person's journey and particularly in the, the form of treatment we talk about being, um, you know, a, a young person needs to, be, needs to feel safe in an environment in order for them to engage in treatment in a prosperous manner um, because if someone doesn't feel safe, they can't sit in the shit. And talk about where they've been and where they're going and so we often talk about you know the little intricate details of you know they might have got to their appointment 10 minutes late but let's talk about what they've done for the two hours leading up to that appointment and what chaos they've had to function within and we're very forgiving of young people and we're very forgiving of young mums but i don't think we're very forgiving of young fathers and i think even the concept of um, I did a training not too long ago around family violence and it was talking about holding the parents accountable as equal. And I don't mean this in a family violence situation, but I mean just in a general situation. If I was to engage with someone in a conversation around around a baby's immunizations, my unconscious bias would be to question the mum. Are they up to date with their vaccinations? Are they going to these appointments? Are they enrolled in kinder? You know, all that sort of stuff. I would never... Um, well, it's not that I would never, but my initial um, sort of thought in that conversation would be to turn to mum, not to dad. When dad is an equal part in that dynamic, dad is an equal parent just as much as mum and dad still has the right to, to be an equal parent in those situations. I don't think that, I think because it's such a, small portion not that it's that important but it is a small portion of society i just don't think it has a very big light shone on it in the slightest and i think a lot that dives into that and and what we've talked about talked about heaps josh is around you know men's mental health and you know it's okay for men to have struggles it's okay for men to seek help it's you know and the the big thing at the moment is to get rid of that stigma and and to get rid get rid of the concept that, you know, men are supposed to be big, brave men that don't have issues, that don't cry and, and it's all okay. And I think that, that all of that encompassed on top of being a single dad as well, it's just pushing shit uphill, right? Like I even think as a worker trying to deal with someone who would be a single dad, you know, with kids, I, I would be struggling of where do I start as a practitioner in supporting you, let alone how do you sit within that, within your life, with mm. so much helplessness. Mm. So I think yeah. there is a real big need for it.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know I every every situation everything that, you know, again, I walk in there with no gender, you know, well, you know, you're a dad so you probably don't need to do that. Everything is about, you know, called the spade of spade. These yeah. are you you have to do this cuz you're a you're a parent. Mm. I'm sorry if you don't like it, but <laughs> this is your job. Yeah. Um. So if it means you walking into the maternal health nurse, well, you do it. Yeah. You know. And I, I think some, um, part of my uh, personality and work ethic is that, uh, um, yeah, I'll call you up on your bullshit, me Dave. I think that, you know, come on, man, it's part of our plan. We worked on it. We said we're going to do this. Let's go. Mm let's do this now mm. and it's like no george no george no man come on let's do it now um there is it's it's a it's a hard one it's frustrating for me um as a as a worker because there's still services out there that have got a lot to learn like uh, an example was uh, i had a client that was receiving uh family violence um he six foot I don't know, six foot five, net ta- net tattoos, finger tattoos, not that that tattoos, you know. No, but you're creating
2: a uh, picture for people because it's true. He walked true. into yeah. the
3: local police station to um, report uh, was um, abuse. Mm. Um, the junior behind the counter laughed at him. He goes, "Come on, mate, have a look at you." Yeah. He rang me. Uh, the client rang me, and he was crying. Mm. And it's like why why won't people believe me Mm. why i'm like i'm sorry dude i know you know we'll chase this up but this is how he has to live he's generally the best father you know i can see that but every time we you know walk to school and you know, go to parent-teacher, go to Centrelink and um, attend court. It's always for that wrong, people think the wrong reason. Yeah. And they look at him and he's it's, it's just, you know, wanting the best for his son. And, you know, he's definitely, you know, one of uh, very few, but they're the ones that I suppose, um, yeah, you know, I try and hang on to and um, empower the most.
2: Mm. And... I think it's important around like we often talk about the use of like obviously um, appropriate communication but the use of language in situations as well because that can have just as bad as an impact and I think our uh, unconscious bias is something that everybody has whether or not people want to admit that or like to think that they don't have unconscious bias you're right and I think something that you can see so visually like a client who is 6'5 covered in tattoos you, you would immediately like you would perceive what sort of person they are and and for me that's not anything negative that's probably a really close description to my partner you know it's not it, tattoos aren't something that deter me from people or you know seeing a, a man that's crying for me isn't um oh what a weak human I'm like oh he's yeah. showing his emotions I hope he's okay do I need mm, to does yeah. that person need support but it's very easy for people in the general public that maybe don't have the experience in you know the youth work sector or the community work sector to see someone that's tall and maybe a bit built and covered in tattoos and be like what the fuck drama is he gonna have with family violence when really you know it's like the whole mm. family violence isn't just physical
3: No not at all
2: And it's you know it could be emotional it could be yeah. financial like yeah. there is so many other things that go into it so I think mm. there is a lot of educating but also just a, a lot of championing and championing championing yeah. that okay. people need to do in the space of yeah well no we don't say that. Or no, yeah. that isn't okay.
3: Yeah, yeah. Certainly. Look, with what we're doing, with what we're delivering, um, you know, from an early level, like MythBusters, yeah, is tapping into that mentality of um, you know the expression of um, your empathizing with your own emotions and sympathizing with somebody else's emotions that having a a grasp on your own will help rather than being um told suppress those feelings suppress those thoughts no you're a man you're not supposed to act like that um i think that earlier intervention more is needed Mm. it is being done through Mm. the programs that um are out there um there definitely needs to be a lot more of it. Um, there in this field, uh, you know, we uh, yes, there is a lot of focus on family violence and um, the victims of. Yep, fair enough. Mm. But we do work with the perpetrators, those those victims that choose to remain in that relationship, in in that re- setting. You know we support them, mm. and if anything, you know we're quick. I'll throw you a um, what they call now a marum, which is a, yeah. a risk assessment. Yeah, the craft. <laughs> yep, craft. I yeah. throw you that, and it's like, hey, hang on a sec. Before I do the assessment, let me go in there, suss him out. She's chosen to stay with him. Let me ask those questions that a normal, a normal, a practitioner would follow a script, mm. see what he's about, and you know what. It's because of certain stereotypes or formed um, opinions that this person, this father, has shut, the, in the, in this case, the department out. Mm. But you allow them opportunity of, hey man, you know I'm here to, talk I'm here to benefit you. Yes, this isn't about me, me judging you or anything about that. But you know, learning um, to keep your word. So if, for example, if you're uh, doing a, an action plan, they're their goals. You have to deliver on those goals. You have to talk about those goals. Mm. You know, always um, focus because you can so easily go off topic. And you know, you can talk about things that are not on the plan. Yeah, sure. You know, caseworkers where um, a jack of all trades and master of none. But <laughs> you know, we you know we do. Try to empower, especially those harder ones that are formed, fixed, not departmental. Don't want to have anything. They sent you here. Yeah, sure, you're community based, but you're gonna go and report. We don't want, don't want that. And it's just that, no man. It's all good. A couple of sessions, and they start to feel comfortable.
2: Because mm. yeah. mm. we don't constantly talk about. Um, I can't think of the appropriate um like word or breakdown but if you constantly tell somebody they're a bad person Mm. inevitably they will believe that they are a bad person yeah that's the only message they're getting yeah Yeah.
0: it's
2: like you i used to have a big issue at corrections calling my clients offenders Mm. so we're supposed to be a rehabilitative system but you every time this person comes in you want me to call them an offender yeah but aren't we rehabilitating so why would we pigeonhole them as an offender? Why can't we call them a client? And, and same as, oh, you're a perpetrator or you're a victim. Yeah, yeah.
3: Don't even like the word client anymore. No. Went over it. Yeah. yeah. I think it's changed.
2: Well, I well, hope it's changed. I think
3: so. I don't call them. I call, what do I call them?
1: Young
0: people.
3: Well, if I'm working with family, well, young people, yeah. With families, I don't know. Service users, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's Consumers. There's got to be a better word. There <laughs> There's
2: got to be one.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's just I think it's the clients' bad taste in my mouth from Parkville. Yeah. Days, mm. but either you know, they are, they are clients. So.
2: Participants.
3: Participants. Yeah, I like that.
1: Whatever they are, they're um, <laughs> they're in need of a service. That's it. I
2: think we're humans.
1: You know, I uh, I kind of let the conversation flow and I was just kind of reflecting on um, some of the conversation that was going on. And I was just thinking back, you know, not only being a dad myself, but having worked with you and underneath you at Parkville. Um, and I touched on this before that I found, because it's actually funny. So, when I did my shadow shift and then my first, I can't remember what it was now. It was like a contract really. Uh, was in oh, yeah. Barnett, yes, was with yeah. you on one shift, yes. I was a casual, uh, yeah. and was with Dan on the other shift. So <laughs> it's, yeah. they were both my first yeah. set of supervisors. And what yeah. I realised is I started to emulate you and your style of working with young people. And then I realised that, you know, you need to find your own style. But yeah, your true. style definitely creeped in yeah. the mm. way I approach situations. And I think that, um, you know, like the sense of humour that you have mixed yeah, yeah, with... Yeah. Um, your ability to just engage anybody, yeah, has, I, I think now I put myself on the, as a fly on the wall, picturing you working with like young dads and young men and even the the little ones. Like I can just totally picture mm-hmm. you doing that, and I'm I just I feel so happy that you've kind of come to that place from knowing you from Parkville yeah, and that sure. you've kind of gone back to it and it's just yeah it's awesome. Yeah no look Josh, uh,
3: it's. Thank you for those yeah. kind, kind words, but it was people like yourself that made the job so much, so much enjoyable. Mm-hmm. The energy that came through those doors. It was hard, yeah. Yeah, but it was fun. Yeah, um, uh, you know, I'm glad you didn't uh, take on my sense of humor, cause mate, that's trademark. <laughs> that's
0: There's right. only one
3: other person that, d- that did. And I think success, to, um, Ah, uh, Justin, Justin Bonavia, shout out to yeah, my yeah. mate, uh, Justin. Um, and just hit it off. Yeah, man, um, always had a laugh, always had a laugh. Make yeah. sure, you know, we always had a laugh, never take the job too serious. And um, uh, there were, you, you could tell who would survive uh, that, yeah. that field, uh, walking through uh, the infamous stalls. And yeah, definitely you were one because you were young. You had the experience, um, you know, and you weren't opinionated. And a lot of people had an opinion that they would go in there and change the world. But my little dudes that I was working with, uh, we I would say to them things like, "What do you reckon? Yeah, See, you these would. guys gonna last? <laughs> let's set them up. What do you reckon? Huh? Let's let's just take the piss out of them. But when I say that's it, don't take it any further, we stop. And it was basically like that. Yeah. They were, um, respect was a major, main thing, but I never forced that. It. it just came naturally. And it was because of those qualities that, you know, you'd said about an, a working environment and how you had to approach the job. Hmm. And it did work on them because, you know,
1: well, you just treated them like humans, yeah, mm. and threw a little bit of light, like, like, you like you know humor in there, like even to the point, you know. And I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. No, so, no. Oh, but no, you'd be, be like, go. "What are you doing, dickhead?" When <laughs> the kid's mucking around, "What are you doing, dickhead?" And the yes. kid will go, "Ah, oh, fucking this too." Well, don't do that. Sit the fuck down. You know, yeah. that's they're like how you little could...
3: brothers. They yeah. treated you them yeah, like yeah, little yeah. brothers, little humans, and they, I, I had gained respect because I, they looked up to me like the crew. They looked yeah. up to the crew yeah. as the bigger. Um, sibling crew and you know um, I'll give you an example of most recent um, uh, a young person that was introduced to me after uh, 10 years Um, he had been at Eastern Hill, big unit man, he was an uh, islander big unit Um, this unit was the only unit that had a fenced off playground like a tennis court and it was fenced off, the only unit and I was supervising at the time, and this one particular um, PI, he, uh, the Pacific Islander, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he uh, said, can I have a few more minutes out in the yard? And I'm like, sweet man, take your time, whatever. I, and I totally forgot about this incident. It wasn't until maybe a month ago that he found me on uh, Facebook Uh, that he (laughs) remembered that time that I had let him out in the yard shadow boxing. Well, guess what he does now? He's in the amateur uh, circuit, I think semi-pro, in Sydney boxing. And he remembered Mm -hmm. that time that I let him box. And he always had that interest. Mm. But he was a big kid. Couldn't keep him in a unit for too long. Just a lot of energy massive influence mm. throughout the whole and i'm talking about eastern hill eastern hill for what you know of what you heard of is big boys you yeah. know. and it, we had a mutual respect mm. um and he's he's a kid he's a kid at heart with a yeah. goal. Yeah.
2: and i think it, it's it, it's so like we've talked about it before you've to- token you've talked about um I think it was with Dan actually on Dan's podcast where we spoke about sometimes you'll give a piece of advice to somebody and for us as workers, it might be such a throwaway comment or such a throwaway action, like giving him five more minutes in the yeah. yard or you know something as simple as letting a kid into a day program early or spending that extra hour with them. That to you, yeah. it's no skin off your back and nah. you will not remember it for the rest of your life. But that kid in that moment that, that could be their point.
3: Absolutely. I, uh, I'll put it to you like this. Uh, um, if a worker can be corrupt without being corrupt, mm. without giving cigarettes and all those naughty things, yep. I was the worker. Yep. For example, George, those Tim Tams, they don't belong to anyone. Take them. Just fucking take them. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but are you sure? Don't worry about it. But I think they were thingos. Don't worry, I'll fix, I'll look after. Don't worry, you just enjoy, all right? Just yeah. fucking enjoy. Um, uh, schedule TV times had to be switched off. What's watching? You're watching SBS, aren't you? Okay, man, <laughs> I'll give you another hour. See you later. Hey, tomorrow morning, like I said, you got to get up, he goes, no worries, George, no worries. Such a and he do it. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we do cleanest bedrooms. Yeah. And what are you going to give them? Oh, a packet of chips. Bullshit. I'd go to the shops and get um, shit brought in. And, man, you know, just things like loofah. A loofah was gold yeah. in there. Body wash, that wasn't wash. the same shit. Body wash, same smelling crap. I actually got them bouquet and they actually enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, just that stuff. Yeah, um, that that was the currency of of the day. Mm. That's it.
2: And also, I think something that young people aren't, you know, in custody for sure, because you can only access what's in the canteen and what your workers are willing to fund. I guess. Yeah. I think the biggest thing at the moment, is socks and jocks, right? It's probably
1: about all you're allowed to send yeah. these days. <laughs> yeah. You got to put the chisel in the socks as opposed to the cake.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Josh>. <laughs> yeah. But even something as simple as you know. Um, I'm even thinking of my clients at the moment. I took a client to the shops yesterday and for over the Christmas period, I got her like a little pamper pack. So some face masks, some bath bombs, some bath salts, like pretty simple things that, you know, it cost me less than 20 bucks. But to her, that's not something that she's ever had the resources to be able to afford or or the capacity to be able to treat herself with. Mm. And so she was just so appreciative that I'd literally spent, I think it was like $16 at Kmart but for her, that's something that she will continue oh, to absolutely. be like.
3: hundred percent. Thank she'll you never, so much for she'll that. She'll never forget you for no. that. For that.
2: No, and it's something absolutely. so simple that's no skin yeah. off your back. Yeah. And I think sometimes people get that wrong with youth work. It's oh, you buy them, you buy the clients with food or with you know treats or whatever that might be. And I find, I personally find that comment really offensive because I'm like, actually, my young people engage with me because they enjoy engaging with me. I'm voluntary and I'd I'd, I'd say to them, you don't want to be here? Don't fucking be here.
3: Are they other workers that say that to you?
2: Oh, it's a very well-known thing in the field that youth workers, you know, oh, you're buying buy them. the clients with food and things what? like that. It's a yeah. bit of a perception from, well, you know I what? think, services that don't maybe have funding
0: yeah. oh, or you know that why? maybe
2: they're very clinical and they don't do the outreach thing. Yeah, and it's um, that's like, probably more mate, weird. go spend four hours with a fucking kid yeah, yeah. and yeah. tell me they're not bloody hungry. Yeah, like,
3: yeah, yeah. Well, that, that is uh, the proper way of uh, engagement. Um, back in my day, um, mm. very similar, it was over a cigarette. Yeah. Now, obviously, um, you know, things have changed and you'd have a good conversation over cigarette mm. and the engagement, especially with uh, that street works, working in street works. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, you, there, there were laws back then that you couldn't give to an 18 year old, but guarantee you, mm. You do harm in, and if that is, you know, if it means me spending five, ten minutes over a cigarette having a conversation about addressing an issue that there's is a return to work, a return to placement warrant on you, I'm mm. going to talk about it over a cigarette. Guarantee, I'm going to have that kid sitting there having a smoke with me. Then someone reading, uh, you know, why aren't you at placement? You need to come with us. That's never, yeah, going, to word for never word. going to work. Never going to work. Bribery, call it what you want. Yeah. Buying the client, call it what you want. Mm. But it worked for me back in the centre. It works for me um, today. But in, in today, we're luckily, thankfully, we've got brokerage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't buy cigarettes because I don't smoke at work. Um, but it's a brokerage, and it's mm. about you know keeping to your promise.
2: Mm. Yeah, consistency. Mm. It's key. Before we uh, wrap things up, our surprise question is okay. if you had any words of wisdom or pieces of advice for either new and emerging workers or people potentially wanting to change their mm. career path or maybe a different job within the sector, what are your, uh. what are your words of wisdom?
3: Uh, Look, one that I've taken most recently on board uh, because of COVID, pandemic, uh, remote learning, um, you know, families in need. Um, You can only, my advice in any setting, you can only control what you can control. Take that how you want, but how um, how I perceive that is basically you okay we we work in a, a crisis environment I can control that to a point where after a certain time I have to learn to switch off and fend for my family and do what I need to do there um, that's the, the controlling um, the amount of stress uh, the volcarious vulca- vul- trauma is that? Right yeah. yep um, is in with my control mm. so understanding what my limitations are for for the people that I work for and with uh, who come through a lot of different challenges and crises but always end up at the end mm. being the one solid person you know uh, my advice is you can only con- take control of what's Controllable within your don't don't look about you know your you know you're in community housing and one day you want to um, have private rental that may be a goal great mm. but let's control what we can right this moment how do we get to that achieving that bigger goal let's control what we have here what are the day-to-day issues that we have in front of us that will clear that path to go and achieve those. Greater goals Yeah um, You know There's a lot of A lot of panic At this time of the year COVID has made A lot of people Unsure And second guess not Their Their routines um, So again That advice of Look Just because It's You know Dan has said it Dan Andrews Has said it here How does that affect you Let's not Go above and beyond what is not in your control. Yeah. So that is an example of, you know, you're getting anxious and it's beyond your control. Why? Because you're feeding too much in the, the global picture of mm. what's happening around you. Let's bring it back in. So that would be one of the, re, one of the latest uh, things that I kind of use. And, and of course, you know, practice what I preach. Yeah. Uh, never do. <laughs> that saying that for mechanics cars never fixed.
1: Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's true. It is true. The chefs no, never cook at home. Yeah. Control are controllables. I love mm. it. Yeah. So yeah. true as well. Because people do they stress about? Stress oh, about. Fuck. What happens on the weekend? Well, you're not working on the weekend, mm. and that's okay. You can control yeah. what you can control on the young person or the family or yeah. whoever will do what they choose to do.
2: What will be, will be. That's it. Yeah,
3: but you don't want to put it in a way that dismissive of their needs as well because what uh, mm. what some of the issues that uh, families are going through, I think about I'm like, really? You're freaking boring me on this stuff? But it's important to them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll give them that time but try and uh, put it in a way that uh, make them see the glass half full, Yeah. whereas use that as a strength, mm. use that, you know, doubt or that 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 questionable feeling into something that is, um, you know, look at it in a different way, and I'm sure you'll have a different outlook. Yeah, just that has been things that I've been focusing since I've left Parkville, working in the community. I'm so blessed and grateful because of the, the, the full knowledge that you, you get and from different organisations, different services, everybody's working for the one cause and nobody wants you know, a bad outcomes. Everyone wants good, positive outcomes, regardless of you know, what service or where that family has come from.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, but yeah,
1: that's it. It's been good it, catching man. up over a podcast. Thank you, my friend. Uh, it's been awesome. Absolutely, yeah. Thank, thank you for having me. Us. No, no. Thank you. Don't I mean,
2: at us.
3: this time of the year, I know yeah. you guys have had a lot of uh, different uh, roles, people, perspectives. You know, Parkville has come up a few times for you. Um, that oh, that is my bread and butter that place it was, it, it you know, the people, I have no ill feelings towards that place other than, man, I've seen kids get less for uh, murder um, and I've done <laughs> a long time there. So, yeah, that's right. Mm. Uh, yeah, sure I did. should have left a long time ago, but.
2: I think that's a good lesson for people though. And I think it's a really nice way to end the podcast but i think that's a really important thing that people need to know and and hear from people that have done the long slog in particular positions because sometimes the hardest fucking thing is changing roles or getting out right because change is you know the wanky saying change is as good as a holiday but it's not but i think it's really i think it's really important for people to hear that maybe i maybe i should have got out earlier You know, or maybe it'll encourage people to make better changes or encourage them to be like, you know, I can do this. Mm. Because people do, they sit in roles that they're unhappy with or that you know they might not be comfortable in. I always felt that I
3: did made a difference, even in in their little lives in in a place called Parkville, and they're gone for you Mm. know, they're with us for X amount, but with working in the community, the earlier intervention you know, the tapping into the, the schools, the the clubbing, the club sports, the sporting yeah. clubs and stuff like that. The other organisations, you know, working with you know people from my past and 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 currently, um, you know, forever constantly learning this stuff, and uh, that lens just you know continually is broadening. You know, NDIS is something that I need to get better with. Mm do yeah. get that. That's hard. Amen. <laughs> mental health, well, I've come a long way, mental health with mental health training. Um, yeah, and probably, well, the, there's a big spotlight on the family violence and, and the mental health for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I continue to work on the case management of family support as well as, you know, assist with co-facilitating parenting programs, which is... Uh, interesting in itself yeah that's awesome
2: good
1: thank you guys thanks george thank you thanks for listening to another episode of knowledge on tick please like and share the podcast invite your friends and colleagues into the group and get in touch if there are any guest speakers you'd like to hear from or any topics you'd like covered take care and enjoy your week